The uh, scripture reading will be taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Truly the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. We do have a number of visitors with us this morning, and we're glad for you to be here. Uh, if this is your first time visiting uh, the Graber Road Church of Christ, let me make a couple of observations. The first one is you'll notice that we are not putting on a professional performance, as it were. It's not our interest in being, making a great show. It's our interest as simple people who God has redeemed through the blood of his son, Jesus, to come together and to offer honor and glory to his name has been the case for 2,000 years since the church's inception. Our cry, our goal is to do Bible things in Bible ways and try to restore New Testament Christianity as closely as possible to what we read about in our New Testament beginning in the book of Acts. And we're glad for you to be here this morning and we hope that you're made to feel welcome and hope that you'll stay around for a few minutes after our service so we can get a chance to get to know you. But we are glad that you're here. The second thing you'll notice as uh, it's already been prayed a number of times today is we are grateful for mothers. And this is Mother's Day and I've learned, this is just me talking, I've learned a couple of years ago that um, it's not necessarily uh, helpful to preach a lesson on the ideals of mo motherhood on Mother's Day. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, because maybe you haven't had a mother who was the ideal of motherhood. And I recognize that sometimes those type of lessons can absolutely um, cause some uh, upset feelings, some anger, some, diff uh, uh, some hard feelings with regard to, to people like that. But maybe it may be in your own home that you recognize that some of the biblical characteristics that we talk about with regard to motherhood, and certainly those are important, are not characteristics that are seen actively in us or in the people that we know and love and care about. And so let me say that it's been my tradition for the last several years to offer up this prayer, and I hope that you'll pray with me at this time uh, for mothers at this time. Let's pray together. Our great God, our Father in heaven, we come today thankful and honoring you, but honoring you especially, Father, as our minds and our hearts are thinking about Mother's Day. We're so thankful, Father, for Mother's Day and thankful, Father, for mothers but at this time, we pray a special prayer for those who have lost their mothers and would love to call them and love to hear their voice one more time. Father, we pray for those who have a strained relationship with their mothers and they don't know the words and they don't know what they would talk about if they did get them on the phone. God, we pray a special prayer for those who long to be mothers but cannot conceive for the emptiness and the difficulty that brings. Father, we pray a special prayer for the broken dreams of motherhood, mothers that expected a different result from their own mothering styles or perhaps from what they received out of their children. We pray, Father, for those with broken hearts. 
Father, for those mothers who have adopted, for their selflessness, for the opportunity, Father, that they have to raise children that they did not give birth to, we're thankful, Father, for those mothers. We pray, Father, special blessing on those who have never met their mothers and wonder what the big deal about Mother's Day is. We pray, Father, for mothers who have buried their children, whether miscarried, whether aborted, whether gone too soon. And God, this touches us deeply right now because we're grieving with Orrin and Lindy Stamen and the loss of their child, and Steve and Janie Smerick and their families who were expecting a time of joy, Father, but have a time of sorrow. Bless them, Father. We pray, Father, for foster mothers and for those who mother children who are not their own. We pray, Father, for blessing on stepmothers. We pray a blessing on new mothers still wondering when they might actually sleep at night. We pray, Father, recognizing that we have spiritual mothers in the family of God. We pray, Father, a special blessing upon those who choose not to have children and are stigmatized for it or made to feel like they're less people because they choose not to have children. We pray, Father, for those who dread Mother's Day because of its painful reminders of loss. But God, we pray that you'd bless all those who are our mothers and who are honored for it. For all of our mothers and for all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be talking this morning especially about technology, technology, and a particular type of technology that you probably have sitting in your lap or maybe in your purse or maybe in your pocket right now, and that is particularly our cell phones. And there's something to be said about what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes is a musing of Solomon of him having tried physically everything. And Solomon, over and over, has the refrain, there is nothing new under the sun. And I wonder if Solomon were alive today and we were able to show him the latest iPhone, he might still say, there's nothing new under the sun, but that's pretty cool. You know, about the turn of the 20th century, as the telephone was being invented by Alexander Graham Bell, and within just a few months it began to appear uh, in people's homes, there were some people that were really concerned about the impact that technology was going to have. And in fact, the Smithsonian Magazine wrote an article in, uh, in March of 2016 that mentioned some of these comments that were concerns. In one American journal, there was a person who said, thanks to the telephone, the motor car, and such inventions, our neighbors have it in their power to turn leisure into a series of interruptions. You're sitting there in your house, you're not expecting any visitors, oh, here comes somebody in their motor car, and they drive right on up to your door and ring it and knock on the door and come in and have tea, and next thing you know, your afternoon's ruined. When I was growing up, way back in the 80s, I remember that there was an object that was attached to the wall, and every so often that object would make noise, and my brother and I, depending on the day, would either say, not it, or we would rush and beat each other to try and answer the phone to be able to say, hello? Didn't matter what we were doing, that was one of the two reactions. Consider the way the, uh, the British uh, observed this. One man said this in a British newspaper, the use of the telephone gives little room for reflection. It doesn't improve the temper. It engenders a feverishness in the ordinary and the concerns of life, which does not make for domestic happiness and comfort. Now, this is way back in 1899 as he begins to look at the first telephone. I tell you what, the people that wrote these two reviews, if you were to bring them over into America 2022, I think that what they would see would make them positively catatonic. They probably couldn't imagine where we have come with regard to our technology. 
And brothers and sisters, one of the first things I want us to understand about technology is that it's neither good nor bad. Technology is morally neutral. There's nothing good or evil about this thing that's sitting here on the pulpit right now. What happens is, is that when you have the hearts of men that it introduced into talking about and visiting with and using things that are created, and the heart of man chooses to use those things for evil, that's when that becomes sinful. That's when that becomes evil. Jeremiah mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Proverbs writer in Proverbs 4 verse 23 said, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. We look at the things that we do and the places we go and the people we visit with and we ask the question, am I really thinking about the person that I'm becoming based upon my use of this thing or my visiting with these people or my uh, introduction and my going to these different places? Friends, the Bible cautions us and it tells us 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Friends, we want to make sure that the things that we use serve us and that we do not serve them. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. I appreciate what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul made this statement. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In serving appetites is what's under condition, uh, con, uh, consideration there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, I don't want to have an occasion where I become a slave to something else, where it masters me based upon my desire and my, my appetite for this particular thing. And friends, we cannot deny the power of the human appetite for selfishness and for the desire to please and gratify self. And as we look this morning, again, at this particular use of technology, I think it's wise for us to consider, firstly, three dangers that we face with regard to how we use our technology, particularly, again, our phones. But then we're going to look at four applications about how we can make sure that we're using them in a Christ-like, God-honoring way, and that God is honored by the way we use our technology. Let's talk about danger number one this morning. We're going to start with this one. Abuse. And in full disclosure, I consulted our resident tech genius minister here, Mr. Logan, as he talked about technology, and some of these points are his. And I wanted to publicly mention that, that if you want more information about any of these things, I'm sure he can provide you mountains and mountains worth of this stuff. I'm going to give you the basic kind of uh, skim the surface level. Abuse. Abuse. Technology, in some respects, has changed, brothers and sisters, number one, the way that we communicate. It's changed the way we communicate. If you want to get a daily dose of hatred, you know what you need to do? Spend 10 minutes on Twitter on the first thing in the morning. If you want to get a daily dose of hatred, go through and read a neutral article and then go to the comment section and begin to scroll through those comment section and see the internet trolls and see people that are just there to pick fights and to, to cast insults at other people. It has changed the way we communicate and we're fooling ourselves if we don't believe it. As you find people that would not say things like that in a person-to-person face-to-face encounter, what you're going to find is people are more than willing to become bullies behind a screen. In fact, do you realize that a lot of the teen suicides that occur today 
many of the teen suicides that occur today have to do with people who are abusing their technology and abusing other people through that technology. It used to be that if we got in a fight at school, I could hit you, you could hit me, you'd probably win, and then we would leave and you'd go to your house and I'd go to my house and I wouldn't have to see you again until the next school day. But because of the advent of our technology, you know what? That bullying doesn't stop there in the playground. We take that bullying home with us. If you have somebody that has your, uh, has your social media account or they have your phone number or they have your, uh, uh, your availability for instant messaging, all of those things add up to the fact that there are kids who will mercilessly bully other kids to the point where that person feels like they do not have any value at all. Brothers and sisters, technology has changed the way we as people communicate. Consider just for a moment what Jesus talked about with regard to those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those leaders of the Jews there in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus visiting with them and saying, uh, this is what you're doing. You're looking into your heart, you're taking what you've got in your heart and you're bringing those things out and you're bringing those things out in a way that's going to tear down. Jesus would say, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what's evil. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what's good. And the kicker of this and him saying that what I want you to understand is what you're bringing out of your heart, it's what's going to come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. Friends, we do not speak out of line with Scripture if we say this. Out of the abundance of the heart does the life act. Out of the abundance of the heart do the thumbs text. Out of the abundance of the heart does the social media post. It's amazing to me because we've got more of a picture into people's hearts than ever before if by what you look at what they post online and how they view themselves and how they view others and how they deride others or how they mock others or how they treat others, you're looking in that direct line into that person's heart. Abuse. It's a danger. Danger number two. Addiction. Addiction. One man in one journal observed three things. He said, here's a way that you can tell that somebody that you love or yourself are addicted to something. And one of the first things he mentioned was, as you look at addiction, you're going to look and see irritability. If a person is separated from something, how irritable, how upset do they become? I was a youth minister for nine years in San Marcos, Texas. And I visited on one occasion with a father who told me that he had, for punishment, taken away his daughter's cell phone. And he said, Andy, you wouldn't believe it. She went crazy. And I said, what, she just got mad? He said, no. He said, it was like taking away crack from an addict. And I said, well, so what did you do? He said, well, I gave it back to her. We look and we say, irritability. If I'm separated from my device, if I'm separated from what I feel like I absolutely need Possibility is that I might be addicted. How inseparable are you from your technology? That's the second indication. Can I separate from this and can I turn it off and can I put it aside and can I not think about it for a little while? Or do I find myself that every five minutes I'm reaching over there trying to, trying to reach down and grab something that I've, I've put over, the, over in the closet or over, in, uh, over away? The third indication of addiction is this, irresponsibility. Does my use of whatever it is that we're talking about keep me from being responsible and being self-controlled in a way that God is honored and God is glorified? 
Do my day-to-day responsibilities become a problem if it is that I use this particular thing? Solomon say that he tried mirth, he tried laughter, he tried uh, uh, laughing and spending time just in, in diversion and distraction in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And then he comes back to it and he says, it's just grasping after the wind. It's driving after something I can't really obtain. And you think about uh, spending all day just, just engaged in this one little practice and one little habit. And you come back and realize that you haven't gotten anything done that you absolutely needed to get done that day. There's a danger of irresponsibility with regard to addiction. A person said this, that giving a phone to a child is not a neutral act. Because what we're doing is, as we're giving this phone to this child, we're training them to say, this is something that you need to master. This is a habit that you can form. And as we give that to them, they can either form habits that are healthy or habits that are destructive and habits that are addictive. Looking at what James wrote about, we haven't even talked about pornography. But looking at what James talked about in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, James would say this, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and trapped. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. And he finishes out by saying, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. A lot of time what we can do is take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing. That's called idolatry. Idolatry. Where we become slaves to what we see and what we do with the good things that God has made. Oh, John, at the very end of 1 John chapter 5, said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And you say, well, idolatry died out in the first century. No, idolatry is alive and well, and it comes with me wanting to serve my own desires and me thinking my desires are the ultimate thing rather than my relationship with God. Friends, we've got to understand and we've got to be wise with regard to the addictions that can come, certainly through the use of our technology. As we talk about pornography, it is an epidemic. You thought COVID was bad. It's not bad compared with the epidemic of pornography. I watched a video about a man talking about the destructive habits and destructive characteristics of this, especially with parents giving their phones to kids that are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and thinking, okay, they're going to use this in a responsible way. And he was asked the question as a child expert. He said, um, I was asked my questions. He said, the one question I get more than any other is, when do we need to give our kids a cell phone? And he responds with a question and says, well, when do you want your kids to look at pornography? Because, friends, it's a click away. It's a tap away. It's a button away. And if we don't properly help our children and properly help ourselves to be able to stay away from things like that and to deal with them in a God-honoring way, friends, we could be this person here in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, where we are entrapped by our own desires. God doesn't want that for us. We're slaves of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 6. We can't go back and start serving the things of, of this life anymore. We're not slaves to lust anymore. And the things that may cause me to think about that phone and say, I just can't resist it. Maybe the very things that we really need to reevaluate and think about with regard to our lives. Is this thing causing me to stumble? If it is, Jesus would say, Matthew chapter 5, right hand caused you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It's better for you to enter in life maimed than to have two hands and be cast into hellfire. Your right eye caused you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Same point he's making. Lust is not worth it. Third danger this morning Apathy. Apathy. 
how do we view our responsibilities when we have our technology sitting in our laps? How do we view the time that we have to spend with our children? Maybe we say, just a minute, just another minute, just another minute, just another minute. Apathetic with time that's so quickly fleeting. I had a child, one of my three, I'm not going to say who it is, one of the girls, but when she was about four years old, I was sitting on the couch uh, there, I believe, in Mont, Texas, and with her beautiful little blue eyes, she came walking up to me, and she said, Daddy, will you come in my room, and will you play with me? You can bring your phone if you want to. You talk about hard to hear. Sometimes we can make the people that are most special to us compete for attention based upon the apathy we have towards them that's demonstrated by the use of our technology. That's hard to hear, and that's hard to come to grips with. I think about apathy in a different way. With regard to the people that you see, I was in the Memphis airport yesterday waiting on a plane that was late, and as I'm walking through the Memphis airport, you know what I saw? <laughs> person after person after person after person after person. There was not a single soul, I think, in that airport that didn't have their head down doing this. Now, it used to be that we'd maybe converse with one another. Well, you say that, but then we used to have things that were, would open up, big sheets of paper that we could look at. But you think about how our world so badly needs what God calls us to be, brothers and sisters. God calls us to be joyful, God-centered, trustworthy men and women who are able to salt the earth, who are able to light the world, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. And sometimes we can be so consumed with what we're doing and we can be so apathetic to people around us with needs and with, with responsibilities and things that we can just ignore those things to the detriment of our example and our influence as Christians. Consider, again, you think that this is not relevant in our world. The parable of the Good Samaritan is one of the most well-known parables of Jesus that this world's ever known. And as Jesus spoke these words about uh, the man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, and they beat him and left him on the side of the road half dead, and you have the, 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 uh, uh, the priest that comes by, he takes a look, and he keeps on going. You have the Levite that comes by, and I kind of wonder if it were our day, if the Levite might have taken his, his phone and you know, looked and, and snapped a little selfie with this guy that's laying here in the middle of the ditch and saying, too bad, so sad. But it's the difference that this unworthy, this dirty Samaritan does that comes along. And the difference between those first two and this other one is that he showed compassion. You think compassion's not lacking in our world? 2019, there was a group of peers, his peers, that taped 16-year-old Cassine Morris being beaten to death in a strip mall parking lot. August 2019, Canadian teens filmed a 14-year-old in the throes of a drug overdose at a skate park. Didn't never left him to die. 2017, there were five Florida teens that filmed and mocked a man who was out in the middle of a pond who couldn't swim and he was drowning and they got a video of it instead of calling for help. Apathy. It affects everyone. And when Jesus calls us to be people who are compassionate like he is, I wonder sometimes if our technology usage hasn't made us either abusive, addictive, or apathetic. 
quickly this morning, brothers and sisters, it's not enough to talk about these things. I want to know what does the Word of God say to us and how does it help us to be able to make sure that we master the phone and that the phone doesn't master us. Let me give you four quick things. Number one, brothers and sisters, we've got to focus on face-to-face relationships. F to F is text slang for face-to-face. Open your Bibles, please, just for a moment to John chapter 4, please. John chapter 4. As you look at John chapter 4, this is the famous woman by the well scenario or scene from Jesus' life. In John chapter 4, notice that verse 5, he came to a city in Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Let's stop right there just for a moment. If that were you today, you're weary, you've had a long day, you're journeying, you're heading right through it so much so that you need to go through this dirty, uh, 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 nasty place according to the Jews and the way that they would have treated it. And imagine Jesus sitting down in our day, sitting there beside the well, and here comes a woman up behind him ready to get water. And here's Jesus. I wonder if that might not characterize any one of us. Yet at the same time, I find three differences of our Savior that made a difference in this woman's life and indeed based upon the difference that he made in her life among the whole town. Jesus, number one, talked about time. He gave her time. He made a connection with this woman and talking to her and saying, woman, give me a drink. It was just that that started the conversation that led all the way through worship to about her husband that she wasn't living with, but she had had five husbands before to the point where she says, I know the Messiah is coming. Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. Let me show you. And she runs back into town so joyful, so ready to share this news that the entire town came out and said, woman, it's because of your word that we came out and heard him, but we heard his word ourselves and we believe Not because you told us, but because we heard him. What if Jesus had never made that contact because he was so preoccupied with what he was doing and the selfishness that that, that comes with just scrolling through from day to day? Friends, people are looking. People are searching so diligently for face-to-face contact for somebody that's going to look at them and take an interest in them and care about them. They're all around us. Because the devil's told us a lie. He's told us that I can be isolated and I can, I can feed on my own vanity. I want to know what, what are my friends doing on Facebook. I want to know what, who's texted me recently. I want to know who's called me recently. I want to know what's going on in my friend's life. And we feed that stole-starring vanity. And what's going to happen is we're going to end up empty. There are people empty in your life, in my life, and maybe you. Because you've isolated yourself, because you're feeding on your vanity, you're going to have a person who's in the midst of soul-starving loneliness. We're more connected than ever before, but we are more distant from one another than ever before. And what we need to learn to do is at the dinner table, around the living room, in our homes first and foremost, to put down our devices and interact and contact one another. Let me say this. We cannot create a truly spiritual environment 
And we cannot focus on biblical fellowship the way that we ought to when we are disengaged from God's people by holding on to our phones and flipping through them. And we have camp coming up in just a couple of weeks, and one of the, one of the chief rules of camp is you leave your cell phone on the bus. You leave your cell phone in a box where you can't get to. You know why that is? It's because when you get children who are looking at each other and that can't have that crutch to look down and to scroll through, you're going to find them interacting with one another and connecting with one another. And part of the reason I believe camp is one of the greatest, uh, greatest weeks of the year is because we have to leave our cell phones someplace else. Young people, let me talk to you just for a moment. One of the best things you can do after services Put your cell phone in your purse, put your cell phone in your pocket, and you engage with God's people. You fellowship, truly fellowship, and visit with God's people. Don't be so concerned with what's going on on this thing that you fail to make connections with people that so want to connect with you and so you need to connect with. Put those things away. Connect. God redeemed us to be connected to one another. Engage in face-to-face contact. Number two. We really need to consider what masters us. We really need to consider what masters us. That's point number three as well. Apparently I clicked once too often, but you can write it down. Consider what masters us. Examine yourselves, Paul said, to see whether you be in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Look at yourself, examine the way that you use your technology. Again, you can use this with anything, but that's what we're talking about this morning. How do you use it? How addicted are you to using it? One of the best things that's going to help that is to take a technology fast. For this day, for this time period, I'm going to set this phone aside I'm going to lock it in the closet and give my husband or my wife a key or I'm, I'm going to set it aside just so that I'm not tempted to use it. I'm going to spend that time in daily devotion. I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to study God's word. Don't look at it on your phone because you know how quickly it is that you can, oh, look, I got a text message. Let me see that. Oh, you know what? This is person's on social media. I need to see what their latest post was. Next thing you know, you're way off course. Get a physical copy of the Bible, open it up, sit down, look at it, and spend some time in meaningful devotion with God. You're going to discover really, really quickly the siren call that is that phone and really wanting to reach over and grab it and pick it up. I don't want to be mastered by my phone. I want to master it to the glory of God. Number three, friends, we need to teach our kids how to fight temptation. Giving a phone to a child is not a neutral act. We give it to them and we expect that we're going to use it, they're going to use it as an adult, responsibly. That they're going to know what the dangers are, that they're going to know what the, what the problems are. There's been a truth of technology that I've had to come to realize with as a almost 46-year-old. My kids are going to know far more about technology than I ever will. We used to laugh at our parents and our grandparents because they couldn't figure out the VCR. Do you ever consider that I'm going to be the grandparent one day that's going to go that? Now, now how does that work? Now, what? what? What happens when you push that right there? What happens whenever you, you slide that? I don't, I don't get it. And because our kids are going to know far more about technology than ever before, it's sad, but the hearts of men have enabled our children to be far more deceptive than ever before. Do you realize there's apps that are given in the Play Store and apps that are given in the Google uh, and the, uh, the iPhone? 
iPhone store that are specifically designed for helping your children hide their lives from you as a parent. And I could spend time after time after time after time talking about all of those different things and looking at all those different dangers. And we could spend month after month after month and Sundays after Sundays of sermons and saying, well, all right, you need to be aware of this. You need to be aware of this. You need to be aware of this. Oh, look out for this app. Look out for that app. Look out for that app. Is your kid posting this? Your kid posting that? Your kid posting this? When what we really need to do is help them to realize Jesus Christ is our Savior He is the one that calls us to be holy and to live a holy life. And we need to help our kids to realize we need to flee from fornication. We need to flee from temptation. We need to teach our kids how to use that technology in a way that honors and glorifies God. Because they're going to be far more savvy with how to use it than we ever will. If our kids don't blush when they see sin come across their screen and immediately close the thing down or immediately say, Mom, Dad, here, I need, the, I need you to hold this and I need you to, to get rid of whatever just popped up on my screen. You're helping your kids to fight a spiritual warfare. Paul would say, Ephesians chapter 6, that we need to take on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Have you shown your children how to stand with regard to technology? Have you yourself been able to stand effectively with regard to how you use technology? Because, folks, i got to tell you, statistics tell us that we are fighting a losing battle and not enough of us are standing the way that we ought to in the place where we ought to in this firm foundation that is Jesus Christ wanting to honor and glorify him with everything that we do and with all the ways that we use our technology. We're failing miserably. I don't say that to discourage you, but I say that to get us to think about how we use what we use to the glory of God. Is Christ honored by how I look at things on my phone, by how I use my time, or am I being abusive with my time, addicted to what comes across my screen, or apathetic towards the souls that are around me? Last one. We've mentioned this a number of times, but let me just say it outright. Be a good steward of the time and the resources that you have. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 90, verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Psalm 90 from the very beginning to the very end is all about God's sovereignty and his eternal nature and looking at ourselves and saying our lives are just for a short time. Our lives without God are meaningless. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. James would say, what is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. You know, in the context, he's talking about how we use our time and how we honor God by saying, I want to include God in my plans. I want to include God in this physical thing that I'm planning to do. Because if we're not, folks, we may be failing miserably with the temptation that comes from abuse, from addiction, or from apathy. The conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes is where we're going to conclude this morning. After Solomon had tried it all, all these physical things, and if you could name it, Solomon tried it. He had the resources to do everything. And the conclusion of everything that Solomon came to, as far as he delivering this message, he says this. Here's the conclusion of the matter. After all has been said and done, fear God, keep his commandments. For this is your job. The whole duty of man, everything that you're responsible for. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or bad. Friends, the things that you think that you can hide so effectively, 
God knows about. And God is going to bring that thing into judgment. The ways that we treat other people on social media or on the internet or on text messages, God knows about that. And God's going to bring that into judgment. God wants us to be people who are honoring of Christ in every way. In every situation in our lives, does my life reflect the glory of my Savior who purchased me with his own blood as Doug so beautifully prayed this morning? Friends, what is your life about? Is it about fearing God and keeping his commandments? If it's not, Christians, repent. Change your mind, your heart with regard to what you're using. And maybe, just maybe, one of the best things that you can do is to take a hammer and smash that device if it's causing your foot to stumble. Maybe the best thing you could do is go back all the way to flip phone technology or having a landline. Does anybody still have landlines? Maybe that's the situation, and maybe that's the thing that you need more than anything else. I say, Andy, that's going to hurt. Yes, it is. Andy, I don't know how I can function without a cell phone. You'll manage. You know why? Do a great study. Think about the physical ramifications of what Jesus talked about in cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. If I did this, if I took a knife today and smacked off my arm, what would be the ramifications of that? Pain? Oh, you bet. Hurt? Long-lasting? You bet. People looking at you saying, how'd you lose your arm? Oh, well, I chopped it off. Why would you do that? Why would you willingly get rid of something that's so useful? Because I don't want this to come in between me and my relationship with the Lord. Maybe this morning you realize Jesus Christ is worth far more than any earthly thing. Maybe you realize this morning that you're subject to the Lord's invitation, that you need to obey the gospel. There is no time like the present. In fact, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that, behold, the day is the day of salvation. You can become a Christian today. You can serve the greatest master that anyone would ever know or could ever know today. You do that through faith in Christ, through repentance of your sins, Acts 2 verse 38, and baptism into the waters where your sins are washed away, where you contact the blood of Christ, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you need that this morning? If you do, please don't hesitate. Please make it right. Please do it now as we stand and sing our invitation song.